Hey everyone, welcome to Group Text. Okay, I don't know what's going on with with us booking, but everyone lately has had these ridiculously long resumes. So, just settle in for a minute on this one. Attorney, journalist, podcaster, host, speaker, media personality, and author. Today's guest is all of those things and more, but the one title Rachel Lindsay can no longer claim is Bachelorette because she is now married, old married lady. Since appearing on The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, Rachel has continued to make her mark on Extra TV, ESPN, the NFL Network, MTV, and on her podcast, Higher Learning, with Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay. She is the author of Miss Me With That, a collection of essays about relationships, love, politics, and race, as well as a new novel. Ooh, we're going to jump into this one. Real Love, which is out now. Please welcome to group text, Rachel Lindsay. Melissa. Rachel? Thank you so much for having me. I hear my bio and I get sick of myself. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I, I, I get that too when they suddenly start reading your bio and you're like, yeah. oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I'm glad you understand that. But I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, a pleasure to have you and a pleasure to always see you. We have so yeah. many connections. Okay, so I didn't know where to start, so we're going to begin with your new novel, Real Love. Okay. Now, I've read most of it. Okay. We've read most Thank of it. Thank you. I And I did skip to the end, so I kind of know what happens. Anyway, but that's normal <laughs> for me, because I mostly it's read true, nonfiction. Actually. I mostly read nonfiction, so I kind of usually know where the story is going. Yes. So I yes. can't help myself. Tell. I don't want to give it I'm going to let you tell us about it. Yeah, so this was... You mentioned Miss Me With That, which was my book of essays. That was my memoir. And at the same time that I was talking to my publishers and agent about that book, I was like, listen, I have this other idea. Because all of this, my life has changed so much in the last six, seven years. I was so close to almost saying no to all of it. I was, you know, practicing law. I was doing everything. I was supposed to living in this box, in this dead-end relationship, but I was holding on for dear life to it. And I was just like, I ended up saying yes because I was just like, why not? But I was looking for no's. And I was fortunate to have surrounded myself with people who encouraged me to do something different. So I used that moment in my life to always humble myself of, you know, anything that's going on or to check myself of that almost didn't happen for you. And I think, what, what would I be doing if I had said no? And that's the thought that always crosses my mind. So that's how real love came about because that is what would I have been doing if I had said no. Now it's fictional. So it's very loosely based off of me and certain experiences, but this was fun and a little therapeutic to enter into this world of the what if I had said, done something different and what would my life have looked like? So the protagonist in this book, Maya, she is in a relationship that she's been in for like 10 years. She's the perfect daughter, friend, um, someone knocks on her door. She's the job that she wants. Someone knocks on her door. Or not knocks on her door, but her friends basically sign her up for real love. This love reality TV show. She says no. And her friend says yes. And so she watches her friend live the life she could have potentially had while she stays doing her life plan. And as things go in life, they don't go according to the plan. And so you see things kind of unravel for her. So it's it's a romance novel, but it's also women's fiction in the sense that there's a lot of self-discovery within this book as well. And so there's not just one love story, which I kind of like as well. 
So that, that's how the book came about, and that's pretty much what it's about. And, you know, it's kind of a romantic clef. Mm-hmm. I mean, you mm-hmm. definitely mm-hmm. draw on personal experiences, but I think what's so interesting, and you just brought <laughs> that up, is a what if. Yes. And I think, you know, it, we lose that nowadays. You know, and as I always say, and especially when talking about, um, not that I'm taking a turn for the morose, but when, when I talk to other people who have dealt with a loved one committing suicide, you can't let yourself get into the what ifs and the if onlys mm-hmm. because they'll they'll drown you. Yeah, you got to exercise some of that. I think, yes, which is I really did. interesting in the book. What did you learn about yourself in doing that? Because oh. it is, you know, you can draw a lot of comparisons. Let's you know, there are you wrote about what you knew, <laughs> and and because <laughs> in fiction, I'm like that doesn't have to be me. I don't know if that is or not. Like if if you see yourself or something else, that it's it's fiction and that's the story that I'm sticking to. But I, I don't know. I'm in this place too in life and I've been drawn to art. And by that, I mean like TV and film, but kind of delving into these topics as well. Fleischman in Trouble is so good. Um, it deals about age and getting older and questioning decisions that you've made in life. Uh, there's this movie that just came out. Somebody I used to know that does the same thing. And that's kind of what this book explores as well. And so, like you said, it was fun to escape reality and, and dive into the book, but then also explore some things that I wondered, like, well, when if I stayed in that relationship or if I still practice law or if I stayed being that girl who's too afraid to say yes to certain things and step outside the box, um, I learned that whatever the decision I make, I'm going to be okay and I'm going to figure it out and I'm stronger than I think. And I really realized that I was letting fear hold me back from so many things that I had desired from within, maybe was too afraid to say out loud, whether that was in my relationship or my career, or even just moving outside of Texas, even if it was just saying no to my parents who have such a bigger hold on me than I realized even into my thirties. And I learned that, you know, what am I really afraid of at the end of the day? And I'm living in a place of fear and I'm holding myself back from my, my true potential. And so if I had stayed in that place, who knows where I would have been. And now I just feel like I'm spreading my wings and I'm, I've really found myself and I'm, and I'm doing what I was meant to be with, with passion and purpose. So I, I feel like I learned a lot all from going on a reality TV show, Melissa. I was going to say, you know, <laughs> Margaret, I was going to say, Margaret Atwood has said that in her fiction, everything that happens to her characters has happened to her or to someone she knows, oh. or to someone she's read about. So I think the fact that you can even say, all of this is because I went on a reality show, is fascinating to people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, especially well, first because- of all, I just want to digress. The fact that you're a Texan who actually admitted that there was a world outside of Texas, <laughs> it's huge. Because <laughs> you people like to just think it's us and everyone else. I will be honest. I still fall into that. I love, I pretty much say I'm Rachel and I'm from Texas. I love to let everybody know I'm from Texas. Um, So yes, I can be obnoxious in that way, but there is life outside of Texas and it's pretty good. I just have to say, but I, I, the fascinating part that you touched on that it came from a reality show is I'm a lover of reality TV. I always have been. I wasn't of the bachelor. That wasn't my jam, but I have my Bravo love. And there's this, 
perception and misconception of what reality TV stars are, who they are, and it is just this silly show. And it is, we even make those jokes, people who work on the show and us being on the show, we make a joke, it's just a silly little show. But man, you can learn so much about yourself because reality TV, you're living in a bubble that strips you away from reality. No phone, no TV, no internet, nothing. The only thing that you're left with are yourself. I mean, is yourself and your own wants and desires. And if you really hone into that, you walk out of it a better person, in my opinion. That's what happened to me. I knew who I was and exactly what I wanted. And I think that experience in The Bachelor prepared me for The Bachelorette. So I knew exactly, you know, what to take from that situation and how to move past people like say, not you, not you, not you, this guy. It, it's it's amazing I, I that you you know that you did one and then signed up for another. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say yes at first. I it took me a month to come back made, and forget. What made you say yes? Because that's one of the main themes in the book mm-hmm. is that you know again the coulda shoulda woulda, but the yeah. constant questioning and seeing her friend Maya's friend's life change. Yes. Yes. What was it in that month that made you go, okay, I'm going to do this again? Yeah. When they asked me, the Bachelor, my season was still filming when they asked me to be the Bachelorette. I had just been kicked off. You're devastated because not just because your heart's broken. It's like, that's been your world for 10 weeks. And then the bubble burst. So if this has been the only man in my world, these are my only friends. This is that. And you know, now you go back to give you your phone. You have to go back to work. It, it's really <laughs> jarring when it happens. And there's just so much to think about. And it all comes flooding in at once. But literally, and the, you can't wait. And you can't talk about it. And you can't talk about it. You can't talk about it. I did, though. And then I was like, if you if if you say something, I'm going to say you got it from reality. Steve or some other blog. I it didn't come from me. I couldn't I couldn't be that good. But less than 24 hours after getting kicked off and it's all just flooding in and we were also in an election year. So I'm trying to digest the world that I'm coming back into in 2016. And the producers are like, what do you think about being the Bachelorette? And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I can't even, I'm still trying to digest that I just did a reality TV show and what I have to come back to. And it's all coming out and people watching it. And they're like, just think about it. I was like, yeah, I don't think this is for me. And part of my fear, that word again, fear, was will I have respect in the courtroom? If I go back, will I lose myself? Will people only think of me as a reality TV star? Will I upset my parents? Will I upset my job? You know, will this even work? Will I be looked at as a joke? And being the first, I was the first Black Bachelorette. I didn't know how this audience was going to take me in. I didn't know if they would be, if it would be with open arms. I didn't know if the show could properly portray me as a black woman the way that I wanted to. I thought they'd bring terrible guys on, and they did. Not everybody, but they, there were some bad ones. Um, so I just well, there like has so to be. There, there has to be bad and there ones. There has to be. I was gonna say, and now from the other side, once you've been in it, you see how the casting works. If everyone's great or everyone's terrible, there's no yeah. story. Yeah. But the clips you want to see are of the horrible people. It is true, and and look as as a as a connoisseur of the of reality TV the genre, I get it. But I was it was all that unknown that made me say no. It was easier to say no. Thank you, I'm flattered, but no. And it was actually I ran into a woman at church when I was back home, and she said, "I know you go. You're on The Bachelor. I read that you go really far, 
my daughter watches the show and I'm so happy that someone like you who looks like her is going is on the show and it goes far to her being adored and liked. And I thought, huh, I don't watch this show and neither do any of my friends, but there's a whole audience out there that does. And there are women who look like me or young girls. They don't see themselves represented. For some reason, they want me to be the first. I felt I could do it well. So I was like, you know what? It's bigger than me. I'm going to say yes. I'm not going to fall in love. I'm just going to do this for the culture. And then I'm going to keep it moving. So, of course, I was beautifully surprised when it actually worked. And it changed my life completely. But that's why I said yes. If I had never had that conversation, I probably would have said no. My parents were like, don't do it. They will crucify you. Like, they, they, like you did it already. That, you got it out of your system. Come, come back to us. And I had to convince them to just trust me and let me do this. Yeah, I'm sure that was a fun conversation. <laughs> um, in your previous book, because there's nothing a parent likes better when a child says, no. Mm-hmm. And then they're right. And then they're right at the end of it. Yeah. This episode of Group Text is sponsored by Factor. Show some love to our sponsors and you'll be showing love to Group Text. Factor's mouth-watering meals are a lifesaver for non-cooks like me. Say goodbye to culinary calamities and hello to hassle-free dining with chef-made, dietitian approved dishes arriving at your door in a snap. Visit factormeals.com slash grouptext50 and use code grouptext50 to get 50% off. From sunrise to moonrise, they've got snacks, smoothies, and more to keep your hunger at bay. Because who wants to face the day without breakfast to start your day or a midday munchie? Factor is the ultimate fix if you crave quick, high-end choices made simple. Everything I need in my life. Factor is the ultimate fix if you crave quick, high-end choices made simple. Everything I need in my life. So do yourself a favor and head to factormeals.com slash grouptext50 and use code grouptext50 to get 50% off. That's code grouptext50 at factormeals.com slash grouptext50 to get 50% off. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Oh, yeah. No, I just had, an, uh, I had a little argument with Cooper and I was saying to another parent, it's amazing to me that when the parent is wrong, they never let you forget they had the argument. When they're wrong, it's as if the argument never happened. Right. <laughs> Isn't that- we knew it all along. She was going to be brilliant in this. My parents, you would think this was their idea. I will say that. Oh, yeah, now yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah, now it's like, what do you mean? We always knew. No, you didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't. Um, your other book, Miss, Miss Me With That, is nonfiction. Um, mm-hmm. Which was harder for you to write, fiction or nonfiction? They were both hard for different reasons. I find that non. Terrible. Nonfiction was hard because you think, oh, this is, I'm just telling my story and I'm not afraid. I'm like an open book. I'm not afraid to tell my business. As I started writing the book, I thought, ooh, I got to talk about family. I got to talk about exes. I have to talk about friendships. And I just became very paranoid about 
walking the line of, I didn't want to tell somebody else's story and I didn't want to disrespect them. This was not a tell-all. This was me getting to control the narrative for the first time ever. And I wanted to stay true to that. So that was tough of making sure that I wasn't disrespectful to anybody in a different way, or I wasn't like taking the low hanging fruit or doing things for clickbait. That was easy to do. I mean, I could call out faster people because I had lived that and, you know, and everyone saw it. But yeah, telling other people's business was tough. Um, therapy made it easier for me to write that book, though, and confront certain things because I'd been in it at that point for a, for a minute. Um, the fiction was tough because I, like you, am more of a nonfiction reader. And it was tough for me to follow that there is a template for romance novels. And I had a, I had, I had help on the fiction novel for sure. Shout out to Alexa Martin. I believe By in the way, calling out a ghostwriter. We all have help on all of our books because we are not writers trained. by trade. Yeah, yeah. And I am not afraid to say that. I call them out yeah. all the time. And I just, I just, I'm not that type of person to pretend like I can do everything. I can't. And I have to help. And you should know about this fantastic author, Alexa Martin, who's incredible and who helped me. But there was a lot of pushback of, well, I don't want to say this, or I don't want the story to necessarily move this way. And it's like, but it has to have a particular ending, or this character has to have this arc, because that's the, that's the genre that you're in. And the audience is expecting something different. And we did come to a compromise, which is why I say it's a little bit of both. But, and I got a lot of pushback. There are a lot of people who are romance novel readers and who are upset with the ending of the book because it doesn't give you what you specifically want. But there is a love story. It just might not be the love story that the reader wants. And so that was tough for me because I knew exactly how I wanted this story to go and I had to change some certain things. So that was tough. You know, it, and it's interesting. I'm glad that you, that you call out your, your other writer because like I always talk about my, my writing partner. Uh-huh. I, uh-huh. my Larry Ambrose, we have written now four books together. You know, we've, we've, and it's just, we have a great rhythm and we have a yeah. great, and we knew each other before and there, you know, I, I'm, I'm a collaborative person. I am not a solo person. I can't just sit in a darkened room and write. I've never been that kind of writer. Same. So, um, your specialty is sports law. I've got about a bunch of different <laughs> good sports questions that I think you might be the only person who cares about. What does sports law entail? Because it's not being a sports agent. No. So I, it, it, I went to Marquette Law School because of their sports law program. They have the National Sports Law Institute. I was like, this is me. This is my place. I wanted to be an agent. I worked for an agency and I was like, this is not for me. But it's pretty much read criminal law, um, IP law, it's a lot of that employment law but the subject matter is sports it's the same thing so you know whether when I was working at um or when I was in school at Marquette I interned for the Milwaukee Bucks the basketball team there and I did a lot of labor and employment law I did a lot of IP work too where I would send these nasty letters to people to cease and desist using our logo which I love I love an opportunity a confrontational opportunity you love um, a good, I love it. I love a good cease and desist. It's like, uh, oh no, she's in a bad mood. Quick, quick, get her someone to write a cease and desist to. That's her happy place. I live for it. <laughs> live for it. So that, that was more it. I never got to practice it outside of my internships that I had during law school. And I was a research assistant for the Institute. 
because they were they're such hard jobs to get because in real life if you're not an agent it looks like working for a team or working for um, an athletic department and so those jobs are far and few between and people love them and they never leave them so i was told get on law review get on go to a good firm put in the years for seven or eight years and then you can move after you have experience so i ended up doing civil defense litigation which was like that's what i had the last thing i did which is like premise liability so i had a lot of walmart cases and when i tell you it goes down at walmart the stories <laughs> that happen at walmart you could write an entire movie off of this so I would deal with like looking at tape of seeing people throw ice on the floor, looking around and slipping and falling or, you know, getting glued to a toilet seat or you know, I, I you just can't make up some of the things that happen. So that was really fun. And I, you know, I got to litigate, which is I love being in a courtroom. I do miss uh, that. Yeah, My, my boyfriend's a, a, a civil litigator. That's so oh. funny. He loves it. He loves it. And then they do. Anyway, but I do want to talk about sports a tiny bit because I assume you're still a sports fan. Yes. And also, I think you can put your legal knowledge to work on this. Oh, okay. Uh, Okay. There are all the debates about athletes getting paid for their likeness. Yes. In college. And I have a very different take on it, which is kind of trying to keep everybody happy, which I know will never work. Do you think there's going to be some blowback in the recruiting process with the impact of really now what athlete, college athletes, the schools they're choosing, that there's so much more of a financial incentive and it's going to end up killing off maybe some of the smaller programs? I could foresee that happening for sure. But not everyone gets an NIL deal. So I do right. think that they're going to be athletes that still, you know, feed into some of these smaller schools. I mean, they're smaller schools, so I think they're still going to get the type of athlete that they would probably normally get. Um, I, I am in support of NIL. I remember being in law school and I remember when these cases were moving up the ladder. So to see it all kind of come through to fruition now, I think is incredible. I went to the University of Texas. They were winning national championships when that was happening. And I was watching these athletes make all this money for the school and have nothing. And a lot of times they come to school and they're providing for their families and everyone's hoping that they make it out. They get injured. They don't play like they thought they were. And yes, they can get an education, but, you know, sometimes they leave and they get into trouble. And so it's like with NIL, they can at least, you know, use the money in the way that they see fit. Sometimes that can be problematic. Sometimes it can be helpful, but let them figure it out. They're 18. They can you know, like it's not like well, some are making millions. Of I was gonna say, really, an eighteen-year-old, an eighteen-year-old is gonna be able to handle. That. I mean, but you know what? You know what? Nineteen-year-olds go to the NBA. So, and sometimes it's younger than that because it's only one year in college. And baseball yeah. players go straight there; they don't even have to go to college. So, I think what does need to happen is kind of the wild, wild west right now. Even the way that you put these groups together—the name is slipping me of the groups that fought that give the money. Mm-hmm. anybody could create one you and I could put one together and create it so it's still this whole idea of alums feeding money into these groups and giving it to the students as incentives to join their school right so See, it's still an issue yeah my my whole feeling on this and then we'll move on is you have a star player making absolutely ridiculous amounts of money and then you still have, maybe if it's a football player, one of his offensive linemen that can't eat on the weekends. 
I feel there has to be some sort of um, parity that the athlete gets the majority and then other is distributed through a team or through specific things because that's the whole part of team sports, the word team. So I feel like we're going down a slippery slope with how it's set up right now. And and I, I understand that too. And I would say that that is where the school needs to give them more of an allowance. Like, yeah. I think athletes are getting like $250 when I was there because they feed them, they give them, you know, athletic gear, but they need to give them more of an allowance or something. Yeah. And then I do think people like it under this, there should be a cap on the amount of money that you can get in NIL. I do. And I think that maybe that will eventually happen. So I, I'm for it, but when it happens, it was just like, this is it, go. And there really yeah. doesn't seem to be. I think the in, NCAA is trying to figure out how to catch up with the culture right. of NIL. Well, as we all know, quarterbacks like their linemen to be happy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I do. <laughs> I want to talk. I know sport very well to the point to the point that it bothers people. Okay, let's talk about your podcast, Higher Learning. You were nominated for an NAACP Image Award. Uh, congratulations on that. That had Thank to feel you. super good. What made you want to start a podcast? Oh, my gosh. So, first off, I have to say I've been beautifully surprised by podcasts. It's probably my favorite thing to do. I do it three times a week, and I love it. There's just so much freedom in it. Um, and you're not being old with any network or anything like that. You can just go. So, I am a manifester and I am a, an avid note app taker. And so when I came off the bachelorette, I knew I wanted to get into sport, but I had been turned down by ESPN and it was the best no that I can get. And so I just started going for free wherever I could to get paid and approve myself and that to be that I was a hard worker, all while, all while simultaneously still working in my, for my law firm. And so I started writing down podcasting, TV, you know, writing, all these different things and who I admired under each one of what they do and and, and kind of like wrote to myself why I wanted to work with that person. And under podcasting, I wrote Bill Simmons because he was at ESPN. He had started Grantland. Then he started The Ringer. And I'm just such a fan of what he does and how he just seems to be ahead of the game podcasting. So they also have a bachelor podcast. So I started going on that podcast as a guest. And then I eventually met Bill and I started talking to him. And then he said to me, if there's something that you want to, he goes, what is something you want to do that would make you proud? And he was, he was like, I feel like you should be doing something you're proud of. And I was like, am I not already doing that? And I had to self-reflect because I kind of was doing a bachelor podcast. But it wasn't a podcast. That was more scripted. And I thought that thing like, and I'm like, you're right. And it's like, I have this idea and I, but I want y'all to cultivate the podcast, but I know who you should come, uh, join, which is Van Lathan. And he had us meet and we instantly clicked. And from there we developed higher learning and it was supposed to be more light and entertaining. And that was March, 2020 when we were putting it all together. And then we know what happened in March, 2020 COVID hit and Van, who's very upfront about you know, his mental health journey just had a full breakdown because everything that gave him an outlet for his mental health was stripped away. 
And so it pushed our podcast starting back in May. And May was such a pivotal time with everything that was happening, this racial awakening. So we kind of shifted to what the podcast was about. And it became a response to what was happening in the world and in the culture and in politics and current affairs and sports and entertainment and how they're all intertwined. And that's how we really created higher learning. And it's something that now almost three years that we've been doing and um, really proud of it. And you should be. one of my favorite things to do. I, I never imagined it would be fun. And I'm manifestly working with Bill Simmons. Now there, I have a more our speed dial. Love that. Um, but you've also done a ton of other things, um, including, I hate this word, entertainment journalism. Um, <laughs> just like me, you've done a lot of red carpets on both sides yeah. of the rope. Yeah. Vastly different experiences. Yeah. Um, what was the first celebrity you met that left you awestruck? That I met? Or interviewed I, on the carpet. Yeah. Because my journey was weird because I journeyed off after trying. My experience was weird because I started during COVID. So it was all Zoom. So the right. first Zoom I did, the first Zoom I did for extra as a full-time correspondent was Donald Trump Jr. And it ended <laughs> up being a viral interview. And I was really tested and I'm fortunate enough that they let me um, be myself in that interview. So I appreciate it. But the one who just left me immediately on Zoom, who I very recently finally got to interview in person, was Lenny Kravitz. Left me speechless. I was stammering over my words. I'm not one to get nervous. I was flustered. I kept my sunglasses on on the in-person interview because he had his on. And that turned out to be a smart decision because I was like a 12-year-old school girl. Um, that one took my breath away. Others have been Brad Pitt, Rihanna, uh, yeah, those are my top three. Yeah. I they, suddenly someone walks up and you just go, okay. <laughs> Hi. Yeah. Um, I, it's true. And I remember the first, uh, we, I was at the SAG awards one year and I was hosting the red carpet and it was my, with, with Todd Newton, Todd and I are sitting and talking to the camera and we're, you know, they're like, Tom Cruise is coming back when Tom Cruise actually did red carpets and spoke to people. Yeah. And you can see him coming down the line and we're live and blah, 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 blah. And we were talking to someone else and whatever it was. And someone comes around behind me and you know, live, you're so focused. Right. And I feel an arm slip around me and I turn around to look and I am literally nose to nose and eyeball to eyeball with Tom Cruise. Oh my gosh. And here was my genius thinking on her feet uh, uh, response was, hi, that is all I could say. Which was probably hi. extremely relatable, by the way. Exactly. <laughs> I just, I didn't know what to do. And by the way, wasn't the first time I met him, but for whatever reason that he locks those eyes in on you and you're just like, I'm Melissa. Nice to I, meet you. You know, I mean, you don't know what to say. I must tell you, I had Tom Cruise for Top Gun, this Top Gun Maverick. He did right. interview. And I was told, similar to what you're saying about the intensity of him, not that he's intense, but he looks to you dead in the eye. And he looks like all through your soul, like he's known yeah. you for a long time. And I was nervous because Extra was like, 
um, you have to add this, this, and this. And they were just so on the questions that I had that I, you know, I'm more of like, let's have a conversation. Let's just riff and go and I'll hit some of the points. But I was like, ask this question, this question, this question. But he was great and made me feel more comfortable. And I really wasn't expecting that because it's like one of those things I've heard, you've heard of Tom Cruise forever. And then you finally meet him and you're like, well, how is he going to be? So lovely. That and that intensity is like, you get it. You get it when a Brad Pitt or a George Clooney walks up or a Leonardo DiCaprio, what a star is. Yeah. You, yeah. When you're face to face with that it factor, you're just like, you, you, it, it, it's very surreal. <laughs> yeah. Who has been, who is, so Lenny Kravitz, who is, uh, okay, so then live, who has been, I'm just going to use this word. And I talk about it openly, the most difficult. Ooh. Um, I think. And that doesn't mean that they're bad or horrible. Just some people are terrible interviews. I think I, like, I have fortunately had great, good interviews. I will say something that I did that offended people that I was like, I can't believe that it went the way it did and I wasn't trying to be offensive. So it wasn't that it, she was bad. It was that I don't think she understood the way that I was saying and it got lost in translation. And it was Oscar night and it was at, it was, we're doing Zoom interviews at this point. And the way they had to set up was the, the person who won came back with their Oscar and all this media has been to Zoom and you don't know if you're going to be chosen. And you have to give your question before and then they just randomly choose people to ask questions. Okay, so I had the actress who won Best Supporting Actress for Ladori. Ladori was the name of the movie. Um, and she's like this super established Korean actress. And she, um, um, 80 years ago, or she's been in like oh. 80-something movies. You know what I'm talking about? I can't, like her name is slipping. Yes, the, the, old, the older lady. And she said that she finally got to meet Brad Pitt. Okay. So yes. you remember her on stage. Brad Pitt was a producer of this movie. It was a fantastic movie. Steven Yeun is in it as well. And um, and so everyone is asking her about Brad Pitt. And so I'm like standing by the screen waiting. And they're like, extra Rachel Lindsay, go. And everybody had asked my question. So, and in the second one. So I get up there and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, congratulations. It's incredible. You can't see me. You can hear me. And I said, um, your reaction to Brad Pitt was, was, was all of us. As I saw you talking to him as you went off the stage, what did you say and what did he smell like? <laughs> and she goes, I don't know. I'm not a dog. Oh. And I was like, I laughed. And then I was like, well, you know, like what? And I, whatever I said, and then she, she answered the question just fine. But people clipped that. And put it on social media, and we're like, "Great, that sounds like Rachel Lindsay. She's so disrespectful. This woman is one. This, this, and this award. What you don't realize is everyone was asking her about right. Brad Pitt, but I also complimented her. But they took that one part. So, anyways, you know, I felt like I offended her, and I wasn't trying to. You know, that's something we say when I met Brad Pitt in my comments on social media. People were like, "What did he smell like? What did he smell like?" We say that, but I think it got lost in the culture and the translation. And anyway. It was a disaster. It went viral well, on social oh, media. But so, I was going to say, it's a very easy answer, which is, 
perfection. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I would be completely remiss if we did not talk about the one of the mutual loves of our lives, Carrie Fetman. So for those who don't know, Carrie was my mom's stylist for a hundred years, my stylist. And he is on this. He is the stylist on the bachelor and the bachelorette. And we're not going to give away like how he does all these things. And, but you, as the bachelorette, you spent a lot of time with Carrie. Yes. And yes. with Carrie with you naked, pretty much. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, and he says things like, like I care, like mm-hmm. you're going to turn me straight by seeing your boobs. I mean, and this is a man who dressed <laughs> me when I was pregnant. Um, what was your first impression of Carrie? I, okay, so I first met Carrie before I knew I was going to be the bachelorette. So if anybody who doesn't know, when you watch the show, there's one team that travels with the lead and then they're the contestants. So contestants don't meet the behind the scenes people. So I never would have known who Carrie was. I was in the airport leaving Finland with the team that travels with Nick for some reason. And I think it was because they wanted me to talk to the producer who was going to be my producer's bachelorette. So Carrie walks up to me. He's like, your draft is fabulous last night. I need to know who made it. But I didn't know who he was. And I was like, oh, thank you. That was our very first interaction. Then, of course, I become back red, and he calls me, and I'm at work. I'm in the middle of prepping for a trial. I don't know if you knew this, but I was in trial while I was about to announce, like, on Jimmy Kimmel, be the bachelorette. The oh jury had it, because I got in trouble with the judge when I came back, and she's like, why didn't you tell people you're the bachelorette? It was the whole thing. So when Carrie's calling me, and I'm prepping for this very big trial, and he claimed I was very dismissive and rude, because I was like, oh, I'm so excited and I can't wait to wear this. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm at work. I got I got to go. Can we call it a different time? And I don't think that he was used to that. So he I was don't... kind of telling people, who is this new bachelorette? I mean, she is rude. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. And then when we finally met, it was there was an immediate, you know, attraction between both of us. And I was like, I love this man. He disarmed me completely. And we just connected in such a way. And, you know, the thing about Carrie and and even Gina, who's the makeup artist, is that they oh, are... Oh, Gina's great. Yes, they are your ref, refuge on the show because everybody wants something from you. And Gina and Carrie don't. And you learn that very quickly. And I think that's why so many people fall in love with those two because... They're there to listen to you. They're the first people you see in the morning. They just make you feel comfortable. And it feels like you're talking to somebody outside of the bathroom bubble. So that's why so many people get close. What so many people don't do is maintain those friendships after the show. And I used to get to the point where I used to get jealous of people with Carrie. I'm like, how's that new bachelorette? Is she as good as me? And she she loves you the way that I love you. (laughs) <laughs> it took a couple of years before I finally was like, I'm good. I love this man and he loves me back and I don't have to compete with the new leads that come in. But I, I truly was like, is she better than me? Do I need to come, <laughs> do I need to come remind you? I was, I was so jealous. Of, I could care less about the attention they got on the show, how well liked they were. Does Carrie like them more than me? That's all yeah. I care about. Yeah. So such a good human being. Well, you know, this is also someone who said to me when I complained a certain 
dress was too tight for me to breathe. And he actually said to me, not my problem. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not my problem. (laughs) We are all straight shooters, are we not? And we surround ourselves with those people. I love it. I I love it. Did I also once thought Carrie was actually trying to kill me because again, this is just a theory when I was doing celebrity apprentice, I ended up in a walking cast. And so I couldn't wear heels. I had to only wear like low heels. So I was balanced. And I kept saying to him, I need you to send me like low heeled shoes. And he refused to send me. (laughs) He's like, he's like, at least a good leg will look good. (laughs) I'm like, Carrie, I'm going to die. He's like, then just take off the other shoe when you're walking. I'm like, this is not helping me. I want to know if you've had any fashion mishaps. Uh, on the Bachelorette. Uh, and I mean, you're on TV so much now. Have you had a boob fly out? <laughs> Have I, you had something just open? One time I went on set and didn't realize that there was a zipper with the dress. Like I just thought, oh, I just put it over. And my entire thong in the top of my butt was just completely out. And the sound guy had to say, your ass is out. Like, pretty much. <laughs> so that was embarrassing. But it was only set. It wasn't um, on camera with someone. Um, I think my, it wasn't a fashion, but my wig was sliding one time. That's pretty embarrassing. And I I think that was it. I definitely didn't have any mishaps on The Bachelorette. So shout out to Gary. Can't say anything yeah. bad. Uh, but yeah, no, my, my thong showing and half my butt being out was, uh, was pretty embarrassing, especially when you think you look cute yeah, and then you realize you're just not complete. Yeah. I was going to say, but a wig sliding, that's good. My mom used to get annoyed at her <laughs> extensions and unclip them out in public. That was a good look too. And you'd look in her purse and it would be filled with hair <laughs> extensions. Again, the label, t- they've hurt after a while. Exactly. Um, with all this extra free time you have, besides attempting to have a, a life as a married person, what is next? Because you've got the podcast, second book just came out, extra, this, that. What is, what, what haven't you made, what are you trying to manifest now? I want to create more. Well, one, I'm manifesting kids, okay? That's, I'm trying to pull back on certain things so I can really focus on that. It's not a person who could just say, well, you know, like I'm just going to dive into work. I'm being very intentional about starting a family. So that's one. And I have to keep saying it out loud so people hold me accountable. Uh, but I want to create. Like I writing the books and then seeing like, gosh, there's so much more. This story could go. Or I could tell this person's side. Or I like real love. I envision on TV or movie. I see it. I know who I want to play the characters. And so I want to be in a space where I have these ideas, but I don't have time to flesh them out. So I want to do more behind the scenes stuff where I'm creating certain things, even writing more. I love what I do on camera, but so much of my schedule and my day is not mine. It's in, in that word you love, the words you love, entertainment, journalism. It's just like your life is not your own. So I really want to step into a space where I'm creating things. That's what I feel like is next for me. Still maintain my podcasting. I'm sure you'll still see me on TV. Um, you know, I've been doing some guests co-hosting for the review, which I love. I Isn't love that talking fun? about. Oh my gosh. I just and it's quick. 
you know, if we could, if you, someone told me one time, if you can do radio, I used to do NFL radio, if you can do radio, you can do anything because you just have to fill up so much time and talk, 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 and you get it with everything oh, yeah. that you've done as well. So it's like an hour with like five commercial breaks. It's easy. It's fun. It's quick. I love the banter. I love the arguing. I just, so maybe even more of that, doing something in, in regards to the, uh, the panel work, but yeah, creating, that's the big thing. It is always such a joy to spend time with you. It is a joy. Rachel, thank you so much. Everyone needs to check out all of your books and extra and real love. And we're going to keep thinking about that. It would be a really good limited series. Yes, it would. And we're manifesting that. I can see the casting. Rachel Lindsay, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Partners all mine. A Huda Media Production.